The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's Let's ride. for the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What is going on, everyone? Thank you for listening to another episode of the Incline Dodgers podcast. We are presented by Fansided, so make sure to read their content. We're about to cover two weeks of action in about 80 minutes, and there's actually a lot to talk about in another lockout edition of this podcast. So let's get it started. This is Kevin Klein here. The uh, players and owners have been meeting the last four days, which is definitely a step in the right direction. However, there's been very minimal progress made so far, and we're going, about, we're going to dive into that right now, starting with Jake Reiner. I've tried to be pretty measured about my responses to this, you know, kind of let the chips fall where they may, let the facts come out, be patient, and, you know, there's a very low bar for, you know, are they actually meeting? Are the sides even talking? How long are they talking for? And all of that stuff. And I've reached this conclusion. I don't care. I don't care anymore. Just get something done. I really, I've, I've had it. I, I don't care about, you know, the players spouting off on Twitter or the uh, owners getting upset. Rob Manfred coming out doing a press conference. I, I don't care anymore. Uh, it looks like we're going to be losing some regular season games and have another shortened season. That really sucks. Both these sides pretty much suck. One may suck a little bit more than the other, but both suck. And as fans, I think I speak for a wide uh, contingent of people in saying that we're just fed up with all of this. You know, the three of us are diehard baseball fans. You're not going to lose us. We'll watch whenever they start playing. We're not going to move on to another sport or forget about baseball entirely. A lot would have to happen to lose the three of us or people like us uh, to baseball forever. But baseball has done a terrific job in losing all of the other fans that may be on the fringe or maybe trying to get involved in this sport in any way, whether they're a fan, whether they're playing it. They've done a terrific job at ruining this terrific, beautiful sport that we all love. And so it's really upsetting. It's really, really upsetting, uh, this whole thing. And the fact that we're probably not going to get a deal by Monday uh, doesn't look like we will. Uh, It just sucks. But overall, I don't care anymore. Just tell me when first pitch is. I'll tune in and that'll be that. David Rosenthal, what would you like to add? Yeah, I mean, that pretty much covers a lot of my feelings. Uh, I'm fed up as well. Uh, It's shocking to me that the Players Association, led by Tony Clark and Chief Negotiator Bruce Meyer, can't see the writing on the wall 
which is that it's getting close to accept the time to accept that MLB is going to give you their best offer. And it's probably smart to take it before you start missing games and in turn missing paychecks uh, because MLB said uh, they're not going to pay you for a, a full season if games are lost. So you're going to get prorated salaries again, which is less money in people's pockets. And it's, it's like Jake said, I mean, you're going to lose fans. You probably are losing fans as we speak. Uh, and it's frankly, I don't see a deal getting done by Monday at all. I mean, if you look at the numbers where each side is, there's, there's three major financial hurdles to overcome. Uh, the CBT, which is the essentially the salary cap uh, number where teams will get penalized for going over uh, the bonus pool, which MLB actually agreed to that's new, which would go to uh, I believe pre arbitration players or arbitration players, the top a certain amount of top players in war uh, would just get a bonus pool of money for being good. Uh, and then the minimum salary. And as it stands now, uh, MLB is at a, $214 million CBT line where the players union wants 245 bonus pool. MLB has moved to 20 million MLB players association still wants 115 million. And then minimum salary MLB has gone up to 640, 640,000. And MLB is still asking MLB players association is still asking for 775,000. So that's a, that's a big gap in pretty much all three of the major financial concerns here. I don't see that getting done by Monday because neither side has budged. Uh, if anything, MLB has budged more than the players union. They've gone up, albeit incremental, like very, very small, but they have gone up. Uh, and the players association really hasn't budged. And frankly, it's just, it's just goes to Tony Clark and Bruce Myers incompetence. They need to be fired yesterday. It's a lot to digest there. So the first thing is that you guys mentioned, February 28th, this upcoming Monday, is a harsh deadline and games will be canceled. And according to Major League Baseball, they will not make those games up. So hence why you guys said shortened season. I, for one, also don't think baseball will be starting on time there, unless a miracle happens. With that being said, spring training will continuously be delayed week by week. Do you guys think that intra-squad is going to be an alternative at this point rather than going out to Arizona and uh, Florida? No. I, I think there's still going to be a spring training, whenever that is. Uh, they just get too much done in spring training. The pitchers need it more than anything. Uh, I think you might start seeing inner squad when they're available right away, but I still think these teams are going to Arizona and Florida regardless. I don't know when, but I think they're going. I don't think there's really any way for us to know. I mean, anything, anything can happen. I mean, there's so much uncertainty swirling around this sport. And um, just the, the way in which um, the commissioners of each of the major sports have handled their business is, is kind of uh, interesting to look at because of what the product is, right? So with the NFL, you can criticize Roger Goodell for anything that you want. I mean, by all accounts, in a lot of people's eyes, he's been a really bad commissioner, hasn't done well with race relations hasn't been able to get any sort of diversity going in terms of uh, coaching hires and head coaching positions and, and all of that stuff. But the NFL is just honestly too big to fail. It, people are going to watch that product no matter what, no matter you know what happens with Colin Kaepernick, no matter what happens with anything, right? People are going to watch. They're, they'll say they'll boycott, right? They say that we'll do those things, but 
That's all BS. They're going to end up watching. They're going to end up forgetting why they were upset in the first place. That is a product that is too big to fail. Not saying that it doesn't need to be changed. They, we don't need to adjust things. But the fact of the matter is, is that baseball is, 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 is much more uh, at the hands of the commissioner and what the commissioner decides to do. And this infighting between the owners themselves and the fighting that they have with the actual players is so detrimental to a sport that already has a ton of issues when you put all of these, you know, uh, bargaining things aside. I mean, talk about play, pace of play, length of game. People find it too boring. People want to figure out a way to make it more attractive, more affordable for inner city kids to play this game. I mean, there are so many other things that they need to look at besides this sort of war that's going on between the players and the owners that it, it makes a huge difference about how you handle things. And so it is a product that is very frail right now. And we need to, we need to figure something out because it, it's ridiculous. So today's MLB player offer, and I'm on the player side, I'll explain why in a second, was, was relatively weak. One of the things that stood out today was that the players added out of nowhere, they want to punish teams now for losing back-to-back, have have losing back-to-back seasons, which I guess would affect them with draft compensation because it, it appears that a draft lottery is coming one way or another. I think seven is the number that they look pretty pretty firm on the, both sides now. But back to why the players need to stand their ground. Did you guys know that the average salary has actually decreased from 2017 down to 2021 consecutively? And there's been so much emphasis and pride on like, Manny Machado getting the big payday, Bryce Harper, Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer, Mookie Betts, Corey Seager. And yet in 2017, the average player was making four and a half million roughly. Now it's down to 4.17 million in, based off 2021. And that's despite revenue going up. Ticket prices are increasing. TV ad and TV cable money is still there. Why is half the league making league minimum? It's because owners and teams are taking advantage of all the players locked into their arbitration contracts with that bare minimum salary. So I do not fault the players if they want to make closer to 800K a year. Yeah, uh, I agree. But I think the owners, I think they need to go up a little bit more. Uh, I forget what I just said it was. I think they went up to 640 when their latest offer uh, yeah, 640. That's already a bigger increase that they offered than the last CBA. So in terms of raising the minimum salary, this is already a bigger increase than the last agreement. So the owners, albeit greedy as hell, they're actually coming to the table here with some increases. It's not enough, but they're actually trying to get this done. I'm not saying the players aren't either. Again, I'm on the player's side here. But at some point, the players are going to have to just take the best available deal. The owners aren't just going to budge out of nowhere and be like, okay, well, we were at $20 for the bonus pool, so we'll just go up to 90 and start the season. They're not going to do that. They're just not. And I said this on this podcast months ago. The players have more to lose here. Yes, the owners have more money overall to lose, but the players – with a, with, a, with a delayed season and no deal, are losing their livelihood. They are simply not going to get paid. And yeah, for Max Scherzer, Corey Seager, Mookie Betts, that's not going to affect them. 
But for minimum salary players, let's say like Matt Beatty, that's going to affect him. And that's going to affect a majority of the league who aren't making $30 million a year. So at some point, Tony Clark and Bruce Meyer need to sack up and realize that maybe this is the best it's going to get. And maybe we should take the damn deal. Well, I think that's why the owners locked the players out in the first place because yeah. they knew that. Yep. And if you if you could read the writing on the wall, when they cut a bunch of minor league teams, uh, I believe it was last year, those are more guys they don't want to pay because they knew they were going to have to increase their pay in this CBA. So they're eliminating a bunch of minor league teams and with it jobs and transferring that money over here. But one, one other thing, two other things I want to point out real quick. One, there's no excuse for these poverty teams like the Rockies, the Orioles, and anybody else who doesn't spend. They get over $100 million per team in TV revenue alone, okay? One over $100 million just from TV revenue. Second of all, I think it is unfair to, to say all of the owners are, are being like this. It only takes eight owners to say no on a deal. So you factor in these cheap teams like the Rockies, the Orioles, the Rays, the Oakland A's, teams like that. They get a contingent of eight teams, which they which they have right now, and they control everything. That is why Dick Monfort, the Rockies owner, is at all of these meetings. He is representing these poverty owners who don't want to pay anything. All you go to the Dodgers owners, Red Sox owners, Yankees owners. They would they would take any deal offered right now. They make so much money, they're willing to spend money. They would take any deal. It's these other teams that are holding this up. Those owners. I don't think this saga is ending anytime soon. So we'll probably revisit this in another week or, or another month. Who knows at this point? But in more exciting fashion, as root- as as David would say, tighten it up. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> tighten it up was a dying sport they got to fix something and the holdups <laughs> it's not though it see the thing is it's not this is all so preventable there's literally like one first of all if you would just end these tv blackouts it would it, there would be no more talk of a dying sport and to jake's point earlier and he didn't make this point but he brought it up inner city baseball is growing it has been growing for years now we are seeing more and more diversity in major league baseball over the last 10 years. That's a sign that a sport is actually growing. Uh, more kids want to see kids who look like them on TV and they want to play baseball. That is a sign of a growing sport. So I don't want to hear any of this talk of oh, baseball's dying, yeah. all that stuff. No. I mean, Rob Manfred, Tony Clark, Bruce Meyer, and some of these owners are holding the sport hostage. It is not dying. Major League Baseball is absolutely dying. The ratings tell you everything. Nationally I don't care speaking, about TV ratings. Every World Series dips in ratings. I don't care about really that. Really, anyone watched the most the last two World Series, and that's a shame because they were both great series. Even if the owners and the players had a great relationship and this uh, collective bargaining stuff wasn't even an issue, they still would have major issues on their hands. So the fact that this is happening the way that it is is, is the, the worst possible scenario for Major League Baseball as a whole. So yeah, back to where I was going. In a more exciting realm of things, the hot stove is heating up despite there actually not being a stove to heat up. But (laughs) we had a number of questions and I was actually going to talk about it anyways because it just keeps getting brought up every day. Freddie Freeman. Now, I think it was a few weeks ago, I said 60-40, does that sound right? Where the Braves were the favorites? Yeah, I think okay. I said that too. Yeah, so I think 60-40 or 55-45, whatever it is. 
I am upping it now. I am putting the Dodgers as the favorite to land Freddie Freeman this offseason. I'm giving the Dodgers the 60-40 edge now. And there's a number of reasons why. First of all, there's a growing belief around Major League Baseball that Freddie Freeman is just pissed with the Atlanta Braves that they couldn't get a deal done before the lockout. Apparently, they had offered him a five-year, measly $135 million contract, which is still a lot of money. But for a player with the caliber of Freeman, who just brought them a World Series and is their leader, that's a pretty low-ball offer. Would you guys agree on that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think one one sixty, which I think is what he wanted, seems seems low. Yeah, and then arguably the greatest Braves hitter of our lifetime, Chipper Jones, has a pretty tight relationship with him. He said um, also that Freddie Freeman is very frustrated with the Atlanta Braves that they couldn't get a deal done, and that ultimately Freddie Freeman is going to play where he wants to play. We've already said it a million times. He's a SoCal guy. Obviously, still has his heart in Atlanta. But um, I'm thinking Freddie Freeman is no longer would be a luxury for the Dodgers, but more of a necessity. I can explain that as well. You look at the lineup, Will Smith's a safe bet. Max Muncy claims his elbow is better. Still big question mark in my opinion. We don't know where he actually is health-wise. You assume Gavin Lux will get a bigger role in the infield, but he is still a major question mark. He's yet to prove anything. You got Trey Turner, who's great in the regular season, but come postseason, this guy always disappears. Will he do that again? You got Justin no. Turner, who is an aging third baseman, had a horrendous NLCS, hurt his hamstring. Who knows where he'll be in 2022? You would assume he'd still be an all-star, but you never know. A lot of guys just regress really quick. Then you got AJ Paul, who's great on the field, but he often gets hurt. Cody Bellinger is a big bounce back candidate, but he still has to showcase it. We can hype him up all we want, all we want, but until he proves it in the regular season again, he has a question mark. And then Mookie Betts is pretty much a lock. And then you slide Chris Taylor in there somewhere. Cause now you have a DH and he should be pretty good too. So we lost Corey Seager, big left-handed bat. The Dodgers need a big left-handed bat. Another thing that stood out to me is that Freddie Freeman is a murderer of the breaking ball batting three or four against them last season and 315 against off-speed pitches. Seemed like the Dodgers, for whatever reason, last season really struggled against a lot of secondary pitches. So you add Freeman into that lineup, and now all of a sudden you're talking about a more consistent offense on a day-to-day basis. I, I want to pick up on that point too, Kevin, because I've always been, since the since the beginning, a uh, proponent of getting Freddie Freeman when once this offseason began. And we all know that the Dodgers uh, biggest glaring, you know, hole right now is the pitching staff and the starting rotation. Um, not so much the bullpen, but mainly the starting rotation. There are a lot of question marks there with Kershaw, will Bauer pitch all of that stuff. But I think that getting Freddie Freeman or someone like him is essential for this lineup because I don't know about you guys, but watching the team last year, watching 2021, watching that offense disappear for weeks on end, or, you know, from night to night, you didn't know what kind of offense you were going to get was insanely frustrating. And I think I'm not saying that, you know, adding Freddie Freeman is going to change everything, but I feel like adding a bat like that, a guy who stays healthy, who's a just a presence in the middle of that order, a leader in the clubhouse, all of those things. 
I think can only benefit this team. And I'm not ready to go into the season with the current lineup that we have, albeit it is a really talented lineup and most teams would kill to have that kind of lineup on, on their roster. But seeing what we saw last year, we've got, we've got to upgrade it somehow. Yeah, I, I, it's a perfect fit. Uh, Freddie Freeman is an absolute perfect fit for this Dodgers, especially Dodgers team, especially with Seager leaving. Uh, like Kevin said, Turner might be a question mark. Muncy's health might be a question mark. It's a perfect fit. Just, just in, with the DH coming, it couldn't be a better fit. That being said, what better time than a lockout to put out these reports and use it as leverage? Uh, I don't think Freddie Freeman is leaving Atlanta. I, I don't. And there's two factors. One, they have the money to pay him. Uh, I mean, they just won a World Series. They have plenty of money to spend. They are stealing, stealing the services of Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies, who are on two of the most ridiculously team-friendly contracts of all time. And he is the face of that franchise right now. He is. Some are going to say, no, Acuna is. No, it's Freddie Freeman, at least right now. Uh, that torch has not been passed yet. And uh, they frankly, they just want a World Series without Acuna. So, look, it's a great fit. I hope it happens, but I, I'm not holding my breath there at all. So that's a shout out to I'm not a pagan on Twitter who asked about Freddie Freeman and then at gorilla golf, 1987 had some follow-up questions in the Freddie Freeman uh, topic as well. Like what did the Dodgers do with Max Muncie? Well, I think you can just slide them all over the infield, second base and third base and DH and occasionally for first base. I don't know if you guys recall, but Freddie Freeman does have a little, uh, experience at third base i don't know if they'd go there but they definitely could explore that if they wanted to yeah i wouldn't want to see that no thank you <laughs> and then we were also asked does that mean gavin lux gets traded and no uh, no is the answer we don't we've addressed this too many times they're not gonna just trade gavin lux to trade gavin lux like well i think what you do with gavin lux is you hope that you can flip him to the oakland athletics or the cincinnati reds and get that starting pitching you would trade gavin lux for chris bassett no, I would not do it for Chris Bassett, but I would do it for Chris Bassett and maybe a good reliever or a good utility player. I still wouldn't. You got to believe. Matt, I mean, Matt Olson wouldn't work because you'd need to give up more, but the Dodgers just don't do that with their prospects. I mean, last year trading Ruiz, uh, Ruiz and Gray, it was like the first time under Andrew Friedman that he actually parted with some top prospects. Well, Lux his, isn't a his, prospect anymore. Well, I mean, he still kind of is, though. I mean, he's technically he's graduated from being a prospect, but we haven't even begun to see him in his, in his major league career yet. And look, Friedman's restraint of trades is why the Dodgers won a World Series in 2020. It's why the Dodgers are the Dodgers right now, and they win 100 games every year. Uh, so he's not just going to pull the trigger just because they need a pitcher. Uh He's, you know, he's known for his midseason moves. He's, he can definitely still sign guys. He's not trading Gavin Lux unless it's, it's the package is just mind blowing. Well, look, if, if let's just say for the sake of argument that Trevor Bauer comes back and pitches, then you don't really need to trade Gavin Lux for a starting pitcher. I mean, Trevor Bauer, you know, if he, if he kind of just stays out of the press, he just plays he, baseball. He just plays baseball. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a top pitcher in the game. So yep. you add that without giving up anything. Yep. Yeah. Then you make 
Gonsolin, your four, and Heaney, your five, I guess. Well, no, there's, Kershaw is going to be back if he's if he's not retiring. They're going to get Kershaw. And if they don't get Kershaw, they're going to sign someone else. And even if they get Kershaw, they're probably still going to sign someone else. Oh, yeah. They'll load up on pitchers. It just may not – they may not break the bank to get like a Castillo – Exactly. Uh, or but they're going to get death. Glasnow, like it might know. not be the hot name on the, on the market, but they're going to get people. They're going to get some arms. I could go either way on the, on the Gavin Lux thing. I, you know, I'm leaning towards wanting to give him more of a shot because he just hasn't. And he kind of had, uh, was forced into a really unfortunate position last season. Uh, he was also injured, but also having to play third base and center field. It just was a mess. So I'd like to see him in a natural position, um, injury-free, and really see what he can do. Yeah, and that's, that's they're, what's going to happen. Gonna have, this Dodgers team is going to have to do something one way or another because I would not pick them to win the World Series if this is the current roster that they go into the season with, it which I don't be, We Kevin. know it won't be. It we won't know be. it won't be, but you never know. Everything could just not go their way. I mean, who – yeah. I mean, look, they, 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 could, they could easily win the NL West with the roster they have now. Yep. But you know they're not going to be content. Nope. Yeah, I mean, there's another team in the NL West that might bounce back, but and I'm talking about the San Diego Padres. I think they are more of a threat this upcoming season than they were last season. Sure, prove I it. Agree. Honestly, like, just show me. You know, it's like the Giants. The Giants showed us last season. <laughs> Nobody thought that was going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> the least was- of which, David. <laughs> <laughs> That that was a very rare occurrence for sure. They're done. It's over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> David's got bodies all over the hill. All right. Um, at King Arthur twenty four, bullpen thoughts for this season. So I guess the way to tie that in is first of all, Joe Kelly appeared on AM five seventy Dodger Talk yesterday, and had a little conversation with David Vasse and. According to him, there's some mutual interest on Joe Kelly reuniting with the Dodgers. Would you like to see Joe Kelly return? No. I think at the right price, I would. I don't think that, you know, he's going to get anywhere near the three-year, $25 million deal that he got after the 2018 World Series, but he's going into his his age 34 season. And while he actually hasn't been horrendous, I was looking at his numbers, um, his only really terrible year was 2019. The problem with him though, is that he, he's, he just struggles to stay healthy. Um, but last year he was pretty damn good. I mean, he pitched in 48 games. He had a 2.86 ERA. He had a whip under one and he had the lowest FIP of his career. So he did have a pretty good season. Um, but again, it's, it's that question of, will he be able to pitch? And if he pitches, that's great. But you know, if the Dodgers were willing to let Knable walk, then I don't know if they would they would really break the bank to get Kelly. Joe uh, Kelly, look, Joe ahead. Kelly have that uh, Juan Uribe contract to your magic because <laughs> I agree with David. It's time to separate. He was really bad in 2019. He wasn't really that good in 2020. He didn't even appear in that many games. And like you said, he's always hurt. Last season, he finally showed what he really is made of. But with that being said, Tommy Canely will be a major part of this bullpen. You got him to replace Kelly, and then you signed Daniel Hudson to essentially replace Corey Knable. Um, so I'll let Dave go, and then I'll add some more thoughts on the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, look, I've talked about this before. The Dodgers' bullpen right now is by far the strongest part of their team. I mean, you go down the line, and there's not enough spots for all these guys who are talented. Bickford, 
Brule. Uh, Caleb Ferguson's going to be back this year. Victor Gonzalez is a bounce back candidate. Gratterall could take the next step in his game. Daniel Hudson newly signed. Andre Jackson showed flashes last year. Tommy Conley's coming back. Evan Phillips was phenomenal at the end of the last season. Blake Trinan, Alex Vesia, and even Mitch White, if you want to use that route. So they got tons and tons of guys and they could even bring back Kenley Jansen. Uh, I know Kenley Jansen would love to be back as a Dodger. It's just a matter of if he, if, the Dodgers want him back. So Joe Kelly on the list of priorities is not even on the list of priorities. He's not, well, he did not make the first page. According to Dave Vassay, who's actually pretty close with Kenley Jansen, there is mutual interest between bringing him back, which I'm sure there would there, be. There Kenley is, Jansen but there, was phenomenal but there is a year. problem with the mutual interest is that Jansen wants, was it four years? Maybe it was three, but the, the point is he's only getting two year offers I think the lockout actually benefited a guy like Kenley Jansen because it gives a lot of teams time to reassess their bullpen. And I think once this thing finally opens up, there's going to be a lot of teams aggressive in the Jansen market because he's honestly the best reliever in the mar- in the free agency market, in my opinion. Can I say one thing real quick? Let's say there is a shortened season. Let's say it is a 100-game season. Though That contract for a one-year deal is not going to be a lot of money. Uh, you could see teams like the Dodgers offer outbid teams who aren't willing to spend as much as the Dodgers for premium free agents, for guys who want to take a one-year deal and prove it and reset during a normal season, during a normal offseason, where they have a full free agency to, to do this, not a rushed two-week time to sign. So you could see a lot of these free agents possibly take a one-year deal. And on a prorated salary for 100 games, that's not going to cost that much money, which in turn means the Dodgers can outbid mid-level teams who are who are like the Brewers or teams like that who are spending but not quite spending as much as the Dodgers. And that's going to benefit the Dodgers. It could help a guy like Kenley Jansen. They could offer him $15 million for a one-year deal as opposed to him getting you know $7 million for a one-year deal from other teams. Yeah, I just think the problem with that though, you, you have the ego factor in there, which is the fa- which is the fact that Kenley Jansen is an established uh, elite reliever, and you've got another guy like Kershaw who is a Hall of Famer. Um, I, I don't know that those types of players would take that kind of deal, but certainly a guy like Joe Kelly would take a deal like that in a heartbeat. Um, I don't, you know, I, again, we're, we're speculating here, so I don't know what what's going on in Jansen's head, but I have to think that. He wouldn't want to go through free. He probably would just want to go through free agency one more time and get as much money as he can, as, as opposed to doing it again. I would agree, uh, next but I don't know if he's going to get the deal that he wants in two weeks. I mean, it's a gamble, right? Because he is getting older and last season was kind of a surprise. Yeah. I mean, if someone offers him a three-year, you know, $50 million deal, he should take it. Uh, I just don't know if he's going to get that offer with, with the lockout. Let's say the lockout goes another month. Then they start up spring training. They, they make a deal, and there's three weeks until the season. That's three weeks for him to sign. I mean, you could go the Craig Kimbrell route and just wait during the season and hope a team picks you up. But you're, that's if you do that, you're not going to get a big deal. Yeah. Don't know. I, I think Kenley Jansen's market is higher than maybe you guys speculate. I think he's going to get three years for sure, and double digits every year. A team that desperately needs a closer, of course. Yeah. Philadelphia. I, I, 
they they got one. They gave it to Knable. Have you seen their bullpen over the last? They they need five closers. If they're banking on Corey Knable being their guy, then they have another thing coming. Because well, that well, is I think just, I think I'm with Kevin. Him. I think they that's yeah. I think they said you're going to be the closer. I think that's why he left. I think he that's, wanted to be a closer, which is what he said. Yeah, but he's about you know he, he's just so unreliable. I mean, he was even hurt last year. Yeah, and he was yep. good. Well. That's why they're the Phillies. They haven't had a winning season in like, is it eight years or something crazy? Yeah. <laughs> um, another question. Oh, wait. Before the question, just want to throw this out there right now. I think assuming they don't re-sign Kenley Jansen, Brewstar Gradwell is primed to be their primary closer at some point this upcoming season. Very high on that. I, th- I don't think you should use Blake Trinan as strictly your ninth inning guy. I think that just restricts you as a, in a strategic manner, if you just were to rely on Trinan every time for the ninth, you're not going to no, use him. For not going to do order. the Dodgers are not going to do that. Blake Trinan is not going to be the full time closer. His role will be the same as it's always been. Face the heart of the lineup, whether that be in the seventh or the eighth or the ninth. They're going to mix and match closers uh, like the Rays have done. That's what's going to happen. I promise you. Unless they bring Kenley Jansen back, it's going to be a committee. Better. It's going to be a bullpen bullpen by committee, just like with the DH is going to be a DH by committee for most yeah. National League teams, especially the Dodgers. I mean, we'll see. It's Dave Roberts. He's kind of more of a comfort guy. He is, but he's also he likes to give the guy the role. He yes, yes, that is true. But but again, he does. You know, once once the Kenley Jansons, the Clayton Kershaws, and the Justin Turners move on, exactly. This is a new this is a new world we're in. Exactly. He came into the Dodgers with Kershaw, Turner, and Jansen already in their respective roles. This is like Jake just said. This is going to be a new slate, uh, a new canvas, canvas, if you will, for Dave Robert to paint uh, his picture on. Sam Shear, friend of the show, 99, Sam underscore Shear, 99, wants to ask, is Julio Urias better than Walker Bueller? No, um, they're just very different pitchers. Uh, I mean, Julio Urias, we've seen, has learned a lot in the past couple of years. He's, re- he's really turned to that slurve uh, to get hitters out, whereas Walker Bueller is just going to, throw a couple fuck you fastballs and get by and it's going to work uh, in terms of who you want on the mound. It's, it's going to be Bueller. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's an unfair comparison to make because they're so different. Uh, they're both elite, but if it's just cut and dry, who's better it's, it's Walker Bueller. Uh, but Julio Re- would go with Walker Bueller only because he's the more established starter and, and Julio Arias, you know, only over the last two seasons and really 2021 was his first full season as a starter. Um, and he did great. And he was, a he won 20 games, right? Yep. Only 20 game winner in major right. league baseball. So he, he was, he was terrific. Um, little, ga- little gassed out there in the playoffs, as we've all noted, but honestly, if you were to look at their careers, um, Bueller's just been doing it for a little longer. And I think that, you know, the proof is in the pudding. He's been the big game pitcher for us time and time again, no matter what. I'm not even looking at any of the numbers here. I'm just going by what I see when I watch. No, exactly. No, exactly. It's uh, exactly what I, yeah, it's, exactly you know, what I'm it's, it's Bueller is you can make a case as one of the top three or four pitchers in baseball. Uh, and Julio Arias, yes, he won the 20 games. Uh, but in terms of overall talent, uh, Walker Bueller has the edge in raw talent. 
This one's easy. The better p- pitcher is Walker Buehler. And I'll go back as far as saying Walker Buehler has been the best Dodgers pitcher since the start of the 2019 Careful. season. Care. Okay. Continue. <laughs> what did you think I was going to say? I, mean, I don't know, but I, you, <laughs> you, you passed, but you were, you were teetering on the line there. Yeah. <laughs> David, David was about to come for you if you said he was yeah. better than Kershaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Postseason why, yeah, Walker Bueller has been better for sure. But not regular season. They're not even in the same stratosphere. But Yet. 2019, yes, since 2019, Walker Bueller has been the true ace, not Clayton Kershaw of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Even 2018, remember that game 163? I mean, that was, was the beginning. That, I was at that game. Uh, yep. Nice little preview oh. for later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we can answer this question real quick and then start to dive into some other stuff. Um, where is it? At Dubquacker7 on Twitter, would like to know, do you guys have any interest in the Dodgers pursuing Tyler Glass now? I mean, it's tough to say no to that. Uh, I mean, he's, you know, pretty awesome pitcher. I, I think he is a little bit overrated. I think he is extremely talented, but I think he is a tad overrated. Um, but in terms of fitting on the Dodgers, it'd be a perfect fit. Here's my thoughts on him. And I looked up his numbers and I thought his numbers were going to be better than they were, but they're actually worse. Um, he is a little overrated only because, um, he just isn't durable. He hasn't proven to be durable. He's, he's never made more than 14 starts in his career. Now, granted, He did start out in Pittsburgh and he made a lot of appearances in relief. But the fact is, is when he became a starter, he just hasn't been healthy enough. And over his six year career, he's actually 20 and 20. He's got a 4.06 career ERA, 1.248 whip and a 3.79 FIP. And like I said, never started more than 14 games. Um, His best season though, came in 2019 where he made just 12 starts, but he was six and one and a 1.78 ERA. Now in 2021, it looked like 2021, it looked like he was well on his way to having his first like really good full season. And he made his career high 14 starts. But then as we all know, he got hurt and was hurt for the rest of the year, but he was five and two with a 2.66 ERA and a whip under one. Um, You know, so he was well on his way, terrible postseason pitcher so far, a 6.56 ERA in the playoffs. The timing just isn't right. You mentioned he got hurt. Well, he's, he's hurt because he's recovering from Tommy John surgery, and he might actually miss all of 2022. That timetable is still uncertain. For a guy with his entry in history, I would expect, yeah, it's going to be a long recovery. He's a free agent after uh, the 2023 season or 2024. Regardless, I think we'd get one full year out of Glassdale if the Dodgers were to go that route. But another thing to keep in mind is that you're never going to get a player from the Rays cheap. We thought the a lot of people thought that Blake Snell was an idiotic move by the Rays. I didn't because you know who the Rays ended up getting? One of the Padres' top prospects in Luis Patino. And Blake Snell was actually really bad against every team except the Dodgers for whatever reason. Well, and also Glasnow, he's um he's gonna be turning 29 this year, so he's still relatively young, but his I, I don't think his price tag is is that high just based on the fact that he just hasn't been there you know he's been hurt the majority of his career and so i just don't i just don't see how they the i wouldn't break the bank for him honestly i 
if, if you're going to go after a guy, at least go after Castillo, who isn't all, I mean, he's good and he's, but he's more, he's far more durable than Glasnow. Yeah. And he is a free agent after 2023 as well. I might add Castillo or Glasnow Glasnow. Mm -hmm. So basically that's one year if he's not going to pitch next year. This next question I appreciate because I thought it was very creative and I've never seen it asked before comes from at L a M F F L on Twitter. We'll break this up into two parts. So let's start with the positive. What are some of the best Dodger games you've ever been to home or away? I love this question. Um, should we each go through some or how do you want to do it? Yeah. Just start with go just start for it. good. All right. So I'm just going to mention a few real quick. So I was at the game that Eric Gagne broke the all-time consecutive save streak at 54, which was really cool. Uh, that was in September of 2003. Weird uh, that, uh, you know, we've talked about how bad Fred McGriff was, but he actually hit two home runs in that game, <laughs> um, which is kind of funny. And then, of course, Eric Gagne went on to save 84 consecutive games, which I don't know if that'll ever be broken. I mean, I think that's one of those records that may never yeah. uh, be touched again. Um, I put down any Manny Wood games in 2008, just electric. Um, pick pick any of them. He was great in all of them. Um, I was at the uh, August 2012 uh, game, Adrian Gonzalez's first game as a Dodger where he hit a home run in his first AB. That was awesome. Um, I've talked about this a number of times, but it probably one of the best games I, or the best moments I should say I've ever been in person for, but uh, the one Uribe home run in uh, 2013 NLDS um, against the Braves uh, after Don Mattingly tried to have him bunt twice in that at bat and he fouled it off. And we were just screaming at the top of our lungs, like, please don't let him bunt. He can't bunt. And then of course he hits a home run. Um, I was at the, I'll, I'll get through the, these last couple uh, pretty quickly, but I was at the um, 2017 World Series for a bunch of the games, but uh, games one and four, which were awesome. The first game that the Dodgers won, and then game four was the only game that they won in Houston. Um, and then uh, this year, I was at the one plus four game uh, where the Dodgers uh, came back against the Padres after Max Scherzer had a really bad start. And it was just a great game because at the time the Dodgers were still uh, in the hunt to possibly catch the Giants in the NL West. So that was a really great game. And then uh, finally, uh, Kevin and I were at this game, the uh, wild card game this year. Uh, the Chris Taylor walk-off was just so cool. Um, and we were sweating it out the entire time because it was such a close game and, um, Chris Taylor came through when it really mattered and I'm really happy. He's going to be with the team for the for foreseeable future. Um, so I didn't see this question, so I'm just going off of what I thought of in the last two minutes. Uh, as far back as I can remember, I'm trying to <laughs> on, on brand for you, David. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one that I thought of that was like a distant, you know, pre Andrew Friedman area was, uh, the he Choi game when he had three home runs, I was at that game. One. That was a, that was a great energy. Uh, one of the Mets playoff games, uh, we won. Uh, I, I might've been, I don't know if it was at the game that Jose Lima was good at, but it was one of those series that was an electric environment oh, because Carlos. that was like one of the first like times the Dodgers were actually good in my life. Like that, that was made the playoffs, one of those games. And then more recently, uh, I was at game, 
six of the 2017 World Series and Game One. So I saw two of the one, two of the wins. Uh, is that if the second part of this question is worst games, I have a follow up <laughs> of that series as well. Yep. Uh, and then at, I was yeah. also at the game same year 2017 that when uh, Justin Turner hit the home run off John Lackey. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, and he did the famous picture with his arms up and all that one. So those are the ones I thought of. And then even more recently, there was a game this year in San Francisco. Uh, Trevor Bauer actually pitched. It was the game where he walked off the field doing the I can't hear you thing. And uh, Blake Trinan closed that game out. And the energy in that stadium was awesome because it was just dead silent for most of it. And I was the only asshole standing up yelling. I was the only Dodgers fan in my entire section, uh, just the way I like it. Uh, people hated me and uh, it was a great time. So Kev, Res- what about you, Kevin? What do you got? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Reset. Been to a lot of Dodger games. The playoff games have not been to as many epic moments, like moments like the Justin Turner walk off home run. So I'm jealous of you for that one, David, but like yeah, Jake mentioned, the, the wild card game with Chris Taylor hitting the walk off home run, just a great day- game in general. But The fact that I had high stakes on Chris Taylor calling him the X factor and then him coming through like that felt good. Uh, 2015 game two, the Chase Utley slide game. That was a pretty awesome experience. We didn't really get the same broadcast, so we had no idea what was going on. But when the umpires overturned the call and rolled Utley safe, Dodger Stadium erupted and then Agon came through blasting a two run or double or something off Bartolo Colones and the Dodgers (laughs) ended up winning. So that was good. Uh, Seen a lot of Clayton Kershaw starts. They kind of all like blend together in my mind, but I've seen him pitch a number of complete game shutouts or one, one run shutout. So always a pleasure watching Kershaw. Uh, And then another regular season moment that I randomly enjoyed was watching Pedro Martinez in 05 of the Mets took a no hitter into the eighth inning against the Dodgers. And then Antonio Perez hit a triple off him to break it up. And then Jason Worth, followed that up with a two run home run. And the Dodgers took a two, one lead into the ninth and Brad Penny closed it out. Um, and then, yeah, I saw Manny Ramirez uh, pinch hit home run too. I, that was off Sergio Romo. It wasn't a walk off though. I think that was in the eighth inning as well. Um, all right. Now how about some bad games? So I mean, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Okay. I'm just going to give one uh, because it was just the worst possible game to go to. Uh, game seven, 2017 world series. Uh, I was with my dad. We sat at like the fucking top deck or the second to top deck, like in the corner. We just wanted to get in the stadium to see possibly the Dodgers win the first world series of my lifetime. Uh, we know how that ended. You Darvish shit his pants and the Dodgers couldn't recover. So that game sucked. Everything about that game was trash from the beginning. That's all I got. I just have to add something to that because I I don't know if your situation was worse (laughs) or mine because I was in Houston working in Houston and I went to a bar with a couple of my friends. And of course it was an Astros bar. Yeah. Um, I was the only Dodgers fan in the bar. And so when they jumped out to the five, nothing lead or whatever, it was just, I, I just felt like shit the whole time just awful. And honestly, (laughs) not proud to admit this, but I walked away. Like I walked out of the bar and I was like, I need to go home because if the Dodgers lose, I just need to be alone. Like I can't be here for this. So, and if they won, then it would be great. Then I would be, you know, ecstatic by myself anyway, but I could not 
sit there and watch the Astros win the World Series in Houston and watch all these fans just go nuts. For If it makes you feel any better, uh, for the final out, uh, when Corey Seager was up at the plate, we walked up to the top of the concourse. The second he hit the ground ball, I just turned around. I didn't even watch him throw to first. I didn't watch the celebration. I just walked the hell out of the stadium. Oh, yeah, you have to at that point. I yeah. mean, there's just there's no other way. Um, I didn't even watch game five of the 2018 World Series. I knew it was over the moment we lost game. Oh, one. you know what I forgot to mention for good ones? I was at game four of 2018 World Series, the, the 18 inning Max Muncy game. Oh, that, that was game, game, was that was game three. Okay, game three then. I was and I was game. actually, sorry, I can't believe I didn't put that in there either because yeah. I was there too. Yeah. I that stayed the whole time. Yep, me too. I actually stayed the whole time for that one. Yep. Um, yeah, that was insane. Um, so the worst Dodgers games that I've been to, um, this is a throwback, 2002, September, Kaz Ishii gets hit in the head by a line <laughs> drive. <laughs> that was scary, dude. I was yeah. in one of the um, the suites, one of the skyboxes, yeah. and like we were right behind home plate. Boom! Just knocked in the hell out. Um, he had a small skull fracture and had a like a metal plate put into his head. Never the same after that. Although he never really was great to begin. Yeah, with, I was but, gonna say, um, just kind of okay. But I'm it glad was he's actually, okay. That game was actually against uh, the Astros, uh, believe it or not. Anyway, um, so that was that was a pretty bad game to be at. Um, the other games, uh, so in 2017, uh, I was at game five, um, in Houston, that was the, um, the game che- sucked so the hard, che- <laughs> the cheatiest game of them all. Yeah. Um, that was, that was brutal. But the, the thing was, is like, I think that if the, if the Astros hadn't cheated, I would have put that in one of the best games I've ever been to, because it was a really great game. And I thought at the time, you know, being in the stands, it was like back and forth and it ended up being 13, 12. And there was like so many lead changes and it was insane. Um, you know, the, the home runs by Altuve and Gurriel is just freaking brutal. Um, you know, but you, you just thought that the Dodgers, you know, were going to win that game. I mean, they, that whole, that whole season, that 2017 team was just like, they, they came back from everything. Um, and you just thought that it was going to happen. It just didn't. And then to find out what happened uh, afterwards is, is pretty heartbreaking. So that was, that was pure pain. Um, and then finally um, I was in attendance for this year, uh, 2021 uh, NLCS games one and two. That was pretty brutal. Um, both those games, the Dodgers had leads late, they blew it. Um, and it just got, we got off to a horrible start in that series and it was just kind of over uh, before it started, really. Probably the worst game I ever experienced was 2016's Game 5 NLCS. The Cubs absolutely massacred the Dodgers. 10-2 to was the final score. Oof. And if you remember correctly, that was the game where Aegon was safe, slid at home, and Angel Hernandez said, you're out, bro. And they even reviewed it. And he still ruled I remember Aegon. that. That was such a bad call. The whole atmosphere and momentum just swung after that miss miss call it was also annoying because i was on time but i was late because dodger stadium had run out of parking and so they made us park up in a hill which i didn't even know existed at yeah dodger I was, what where even is there else to park so yeah they have a hill secretly and it's it's a good 20 minute walk and that oh, sucked. Okay. we missed the top of the first 
Yeah. Nothing happens. So what's the one thing I hate about Dodger State? Well, not the one thing, but the main thing I hate about it is the just the lack of access. It's just yeah. Just terrible. It's a killer. Yeah. Poor young Julio Urias got shelled and Ross Stripling was bad. Um shocker. Been some spent some other playoff losses, but it is what it is. Not gonna make them my worst. Um 2007, I watched Brandon Webb throw a complete game shutout against the Dodgers. That was really boring as a Dodger fan. And plus, that team was just kind of a disappointment in itself. After kind of riding a high of 2006, I expected them to be good, and they ended up sucking, and Grady Little got uh, let go after that. And uh, finally, one more. I was in Chase Field. Ted Lilly was pitching for the Dodgers. Cannot stand watching him throw. I like Ted. His first half of his t- early tenure was fine, and then after that, Ted, was- Ted Lilly threw like a like a dad throwing batting practice at, in Little League. Like yeah. he just had that look about him. Yeah, yeah, he did. And then the dude got shelled, and that was a boring game as well. Hate watching games where the Dodgers get blown out. You feel like you didn't get your money's worth. Happens. Yeah, the, the yeah, I, it's the the highs and lows of that 2017 World Series are just unbelievable. I mean. You know, you, the, I don't know. We, we've talked at nauseum about that, but damn. Chris Woodward. They still, they still should have won. Chris Woodward. All he had to do was send Chris Taylor. Oh, and then that, the, the replay of that where they're mic'd up is like, I thought you said no. I thought you said go. Or like, yeah, oh, it just geez. makes you just want to just fall down some stairs. <laughs> also, the ump being in the wrong place at the wrong time where the ball like went off his foot. That was mm. game two, I think. Game two was was excruciating too. That was, and know. then the Cody Ballinger that was for sure a home run. And then it yeah, did. it's Manfred fucking unjuicing the balls. <laughs> which when when was that? Which which game was that? Was that two as well? I think so. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, Alex Wood had the game of his life in game four. It was not for whatever reason. It's for a very specific reason. He was the only one who was changing the signs because he thought something was up. I never understood understood why all of them didn't do that. Didn't make any sense, man. None of that series made any sense. I mean, you know, don't you say to Kershaw the next day? Like, I I, I mean, I don't know. There's so many questions I have that. Yeah, you know, but yes. then it's like we're now we're like victim blaming. You know, we were the victim in that situation. We shouldn't be the one to accommodate cheaters. They no, just, I, I, I know? know, I know that. But you otherwise, know. you're just gonna, you know, it's one your- thing. It's one thing if nobody had an idea, right? Like that's one thing if nobody yeah. had an idea about it. But if you do, and you're Alex Wood and you're Austin Barnes, I, I don't understand. Like I just don't get it. I'm not saying that you know they could have overcome the cheating, but it but it just seems strange to me why they wouldn't just follow that same pattern. Yeah. Those are good questions. Wanted to talk about this last week. So we'll talk about it this week. Great news in LA because the Los Angeles Rams are Super Bowl champions. They had their parade on Wednesday and or Wednesday of last week. Yes. There was the whole Matthew Stafford drama. Not going to talk about that. It's come to light that this photographer is kind of an idiot. You can re- do some research on Twitter if you want. But back to the Rams, their first city, their first championship in the city of LA, making LA officially title town. What a time to be alive where the Rams, the Lakers, and the Dodgers have all won a championship in the last three years. 
LA Kings won two last decade. So we're just adding to the collection. I think it's great for the city of LA that the Rams have now established themselves as the, as the premier franchise NFL team in Los Angeles. So sorry, Chargers, maybe next year. And thank God that LeBron James did not get his way of trying to steal the spotlight from the LA Rams by trying to crash their parade. I like LeBron, but in that situation, he'd go F himself because this was the Rams day. And I'm sorry, you had a whole year to do your own parade. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, Justin Turner and also Mookie Betts were on board with that. But I, I am I am glad that the Rams had their own moment. And I just have one thing to say about the parade because I hear a lot, I've been hearing a lot of takes about how, oh, the Rams don't have any fans and it, you know, the streets were empty and blah, blah, blah. Like, I just think that argument is so tired because think about it. They've only been in LA since what? They came back in 2016. They've only been here for a couple of years. Um, they spent the majority of their time for an entire generation in St. Louis. Plus, not to mention the fact that the Raiders were also in L.A. And a, a year or two after the Rams came back to L.A., the Chargers moved back to one L.A. Year. So they, they, one year they, after. Right, one year. So they've been competing with fan bases left and right. They've only been here for a few years. They end up going to two Super Bowls, winning one of them. The fans will come. They will be there. You just have to give it time. So people commenting about how ridiculous it is that they don't have a fan base and blah, 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 all these bandwagon fans, just shut up. You don't know anything about how this works. And if you peel back the layers, you'll find that it actually makes a whole lot of sense. And by the way, there are Rams fans out there. There are Rams fans that were Rams fans when they were last in LA. And you've got the new up and coming Rams fans who are people like us who didn't grow up with a football team in LA, but also the kids that are just coming up and learning about the NFL and falling in love and like wearing, you know, Cooper cup jerseys all over the place. So they're here, they're there, they're coming. And, you know, I just don't want to hear any more comments about, Oh, the, Oh, the Rams fan base. Where are they? It's, it's ridiculous. I was, that was perfectly said. I mean, it's going to take a generation until the Rams have like a full on established fan base for exactly what you just said. It's all about consistency. Yeah. Look, the Rams aren't going anywhere ever again. That I can promise you. I mean, he just spent how many billion dollars on a stadium. They've been to two Super Bowls in five years. Uh, They're, they're here to stay. The fans are already here. And as more and more time goes, there's going to be a ton of little baby Rams fans who are born and their parents are Rams fans. And then that cycle begins as well. And I also want to say like basically what you just said, I don't expect te- people who grew up without a football team uh, and chose a football team because they wanted to, to uh, defect. I, I wouldn't defect if I had chosen a football team when I was seven years old and rude for them still 2016. So those, it's like a lost, a lost, you know, two generations of LA fans who either rooted for their team that their dad rooted for. Like there's a ton of Packers fans in LA. There's a ton of uh, saints fans in LA for some reason. There's a ton of Steelers fans in LA for some reason. I mean, we know the reasons, but you get the point. It's going to take a generation or two for there to be a, 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 a well like established fan base but they're here. That Ram Super Bowl run was like the definition of an electric run. They beat the Cardinals, who was like the up and coming team. They were in first place most of the year in the division. Then they take out the reigning champions in the GOAT, Tom Brady. They forced him into retirement. 
Well, I'm exaggerating there. His wife wanted him to retire, but still his last game ever was against the Rams, allegedly, unless he joins the 49ers. We'll see. And then they take out their arch nemesis, their true arch nemesis, the 49ers who had beat them six times in a row in the NFC championship game. And then they make a comeback against Joe Burrow, probably the best young quarterback in the NFL. They take him down. Aaron Donald makes the last play. The narrative is just right there. This was Donald's game. I think you could make a case he was Super Bowl MVP, but I understand why they gave it to Cooper Cup. Could have gone either way, but I agree with you. I mean, I just want to give credit to Les Snead and, and the ownership for just unloading the entire clip to win a Super Bowl. I mean, they gave no shits whatsoever about their picks and all that, all the noise, trading everything for the, these top guys. And every one of their trades made it made a huge deal. Von Miller was huge down the stretch. He was an animal. Uh, Stafford, they don't win that. They don't win that Super Bowl with Jared Goff. Uh, not even close. They probably don't even get there. Stafford made every play in the fourth quarter he needed to in all of those games. Uh, Odell Beckham turned out to be a huge addition. Uh, just just a job well done. And I wouldn't be surprised to see other teams start using that as a blueprint. No, I agree with you. And and also, like, yes, they added all this top-tier talent and they gave away a bunch of picks. But again, you know, the, the national narrative, which people often say about the Dodgers, is that, oh, they, they buy all this talent. A lot of this team is homegrown. I mean, and, and I think actually even a majority of it is. Um, through the late-round draft picks, uh, Aaron Donald is a homegrown talent, Cooper Cup. I mean, these are the best players on the team that are homegrown. I mean, the, the, to me, it's like, um, it's just, again, another tired take of, you know, of uh, the national take on, on LA teams when they don't know what, what the team is made of. I mean, you look at the Dodgers too. I mean, also who cares, of, you know, yeah. like who cares? We won. Why does it matter how you did it? You won. Exactly. No, I agree with you, but you know, I just feel like it, it, it deserves, it deserves context. Now we can go into the miscellaneous part of the show. So if you guys had any topics you wanted to talk about or your segments, go for it. Uh, I have my idiot of the week. If anyone wants to say anything first, but I'm happy to I, just. No. I would love to hear your idiot of the week. Okay. So my idiot of the week is Marcus Stroman. Uh, now Chicago Cubs pitcher, formerly of the Mets, formerly of the Blue Jays. Basically, he signed with the Cubs and wanted to – he said he wanted to go back to the Mets and then sign with the Cubs. So here's his two tweets. I'm going to read two tweets, and I'm going to date him. So the first tweet I'm going to read, which is now deleted because he's a giant baby. Marcus Stroman on November 26, 20, 2021. I would love to be back on the squad next year, talking about the Mets. I've proven that I can pitch in NY. Others usually crumble under that New York pressure. However, I know I know a source who says the front office rather than the other pitchers on the market. I'm going to dominate wherever I end up. Okay. Granted, that was on November 26, 2021. My next tweet, I'm going to preface with the Mets hired their GM, Billy Epler, on November 18th. 2021. So Marcus Stroman tweeted that he would love to be back a week after they hired Billy Epler. Then fast forward to February 22nd of this year, Marcus Stroman, just look at who the Mets hired as their GM. That tells you enough. His lack of awareness in his previous position is being exposed to the public. Now I'm beyond thankful. I'm gone from that organization. God got me. 
He went on to trash the organization more talking about Michael Conforto and how he hopes he doesn't sign with the Mets because they're a terrible organization. Bottom line is this guy sucks. He is the worst. He is just so insufferable. He did the same thing when he was in Toronto, said he wanted to be back. When they didn't bring him back, he trashed the Blue Jays organization. Basically, he just burns his bridges every time he leaves a new team. Nobody hypes himself up more than himself. Uh, LeBron James is close, but LeBron James is also LeBron James. So LeBron James can warrant essentially sucking himself off on Twitter. Marcus Stroman is not good enough to do that. And that's all he does. And he'll block you and he'll delete his own tweets and he'll be a giant hypocrite. So Marcus Stroman, you are my idiot of the week. Congratulations on taking the fourth ever idiot of the week. We now have a squad of four. I'm going to post all four of them and you can vote who is the biggest idiot of the month. How about that? Whoa. I was actually going to say uh, kind of along the same point that you just made where it's, I've never seen someone talk such a big game and not have their talent match the, the, the talking that they're doing. Um, like you said, LeBron James, arguably the best player ever or second best player ever, whichever you, or however you, whether it be injuries, but even when he is healthy, he's a decent pitcher, but he's nowhere near the level that he hypes himself up to be. So yeah, I, I agree with your, with, with your take on this, but I do have a question since we have been comparing all of them yeah. or do you want to wait for the poll? No, no fire away. So, okay. So where does this one fall uh, against the, you know, the reigning champion, the Ben Verlander tweet? Okay, so it is we have the we have the Ben Verlander tweet uh, where he accused Babe Ruth of murder and then was just like, well, I don't know if it happened. Maybe I don't know. Uh, And then we have the Jonathan Allen saying he wanted to have dinner with Hitler because he's a military genius. We have the Brittany Mahomes slash Matthews saying, I just want to do what I want to do without being attacked. And then we have this. So my personal rankings are. Ben Verlander remains at number one. Jonathan Allen at number two. This at number three. And Brittany Mahomes at number four. I would I would switch the Marcus Stroman and the Allen tweet. Only really? because only because of your ex your explanation of it or, or okay, sort of okay. context of it. Because hold on. This is barely even an idiot tweet of the week to begin with. No, no, no. I know, but okay, hold on. I know where you're going with this. The fact that Billy Epler sucks as a GM has no influence on him being an that, idiot. No, no. Okay, he well, could, yes, he's, he's right on Billy Epler being stupid, but it's the fact that he said he, he would love to be back a week after they hired Epler, a week after he knew everything Billy Epler did. It's not that he cares about Billy Epler. It's that he cares that the Mets didn't want him back. And now he wants to act like they're a terrible organization, which they are, who hired yeah, a terrible exactly. GM, which he is. But it's how he's acting. The no, timing I, of it makes him a the, giant, fat, baby I hypocrite. think this, the mindset here with Stroman is he knows Mets fans are soft. If there's one fan base you can trigger easily on Twitter, it's no. Mets fans. They will find any excuse in the world to complain and be the poor me victim here they are yet again. I will say that the Mets are rising in my totem pole. They are no longer the worst fan base in baseball. They are now the second worst. Congratulations, Padres. Astros. Astros, okay. Because of their I feel like hypocriticism I feel like... of the fact that 
we're not legitimate champions in 2020 because it was a shortened season, yet they recognize that they are the World Series champions in 2017. You're you're off topic, though. I get what you're saying. I get that Billy Epler is a terrible GM. I get that the Mets are a terrible organization. But you you got to ignore all of that. you got to look at the timing of his tweets. He knew everything about the organization and the GM when he postured online saying, oh, yeah, I would love to be back, trying to get them to want him, trying to get them to offer a contract. And then once he got scorned, he lights that lights a cigarette, throws it on the on the tinderbox behind him, and says, "Fuck you." Well, that's a hypocrite. That's the, Marcus Stroman sucks move. as a person. He is not a good person, or at least he's not a good person on Twitter. Okay, but this isn't even one of the worst tweets he's ever put out there. I could I could do a whole idiot. I could do a Marcus Stroman idiot tweet of the week for as a segment too, but I'm not going to do that. I actually. I was prepared for this because I knew that you were going to bring up the Stroman one. So I wanted to counter with okay. the true idiot of the week. And technically this was on Instagram, but it's still social media. So it should count. I'll allow it. This one's got to go out to Kanye West, who has just been. <laughs> He's in a category of his own. <laughs> he is a nightmare. And he took it to the next level earlier this week. He posted on Instagram a, a tweet, actually, of from hip hop number from hip hop numbers. I don't know what that is. It's probably a Kanye burner account to begin with. And it listed all his beefs, including Taylor Swift, Kid Cudi, MTV, Beyonce, his cousin. It says his cousin. I don't know who that is. And Peppa Pig, which I'll get to in a second. Oh, <laughs> Kanye, God, Peppa Pig. Kanye. So to that picture, Kanye responds, and this is probably a list of at least 25 names. Come on, guys. This list should be twice as long. You got to put Apple, Spotify, TikTok, Black Lives Matter, the whole cast of SNL, the devil himself, Corey Gamble, Disney, liberals, Obama, Skeet, and so on and so forth. He leaves that on for a few hours and then he deletes it like the pussy that he is because every time Kanye West talks shit, he ends up deleting it a few hours later and then promotes his new album, which sucks. So back to Peppa Pig. Apparently this beef rose uh, last year when Kanye put out his whack shitty album Donda and Peppa Pig released their cartoon album. I don't know what it's called. And the critics gave Peppa Pig the better score on a Pitchfork or one of the other one of the other review sites and that apparently infuriated Kanye hence sparking this up and becoming a trending thing on Twitter once again of why Kanye is mad at Peppa Pig the beloved cartoon character okay look everything you said is valid but i i don't consider Kanye West a serious person i i don't know what the hell he is doing i don't think he does um, I think he's in a world of his own. Uh, it'd be like using an Antonio Brown tweet. Like, are we really gonna, are we, are we taking him seriously? Like, is this, is this what we're doing? Like, well, know, yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to, are we holding those guys to the same standard as, as other people that, that, you know, right. And I, I'm know. not like, they just kind of do their own thing and it's crazy. And it's like, okay, you're kind of crazy. It's, it's, you know, it's not, it's a softball. It's too easy. Like, I'm not going to, you know. Like, I feel like there's better, more sane people to go after. Well, I don't think Ben Verlander is more sane than Kanye West. In fact, come on, come on, dude. The the dude does not know anything. 
He just rides the coattails of you his can't, big brother. You can't. Okay, but in terms of a sanity <laughs> Kanye level. Kanye West is a billionaire. Ben Verlander probably lives in some shitty apartment in uh, Canoga Park. Okay. Okay, first of all, unnecessary ricochet shot on Canoga Park. Second I of just all. I named a random city. I don't know. I know, but what if someone lives at Canoga Park? No, there's nothing listening. wrong with Canoga Park. I'm just saying. Okay. Anyway. Not living in Beverly Hills. Yeah, he lives in Rancho Cucamonga. Take a shot at them. <laughs> Why they're just so not comparable? Like, there's no way you're making that argument. No, like, no, I'm you sorry. can't. You just you can't. can't. Like Ben Verlander's an idiot, but he's not like insane. Who's smarter? Ben Verlander's just a troll. He says things that will get engagement, and and just be, he's just dumb. You're right. He rides the coattails. He's stupid, but he's not insane. Kanye West, I feel like, is actually insane. Well, Ben Verlander did plant those uh. Astros propaganda, yeah, or whatever. He did. Yeah. That's something so, only he so did that. I feel like he gets away person. with that too. Like that's that should only... be brought up more. <laughs> but only also, the Babe Ruth thing is not brought up more yeah, than it. That's it another should... insane take. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Accusing Babe Ruth, who died in like the 30s, of murder. I don't know what and he then, died. And then it's not. It's not just the accusal, though. It's the, it's like, the walk not... back. It's like the. <laughs> it's like the. It's like literally someone. Someone just asked him. Did that happen? He's like, I don't know. Maybe. It's like, you, you know, can't do that, Ben. That's honestly an indication as to why that will be the number one choice for a long time running. Because we keep we keep going back to it. <laughs> I'm waiting for someone to beat it. I, I still, I want you people to send me idiot tweets of the week. I want help to try to beat Ben Verlander. But that is tough to beat right now. All right, we've got a few minutes left. So with March around the corner... It's time to start to brainstorm what our March Madness tournament bracket should be. Anything is on the table. If you guys had any thoughts already, shout them out now. Otherwise, this goes out to you listeners. Help us by uh, responding on Twitter and giving us some ideas of what our March Madness tournament bracket should be of 2022. I'm going to bow out of this because I just am not very well-versed in college basketball. I went to Syracuse. No, this is not going to be about basketball. This is our own tournament of anything. Oh, okay. Like the restaurant one we did a couple years ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to figure out what we're going to do in terms of a bracket that we can break down if this lockout goes, but we've done restaurants, so we need to do something else. Yeah. We've done one again. Was it Benny Hanna? It was Benny Hanna. That's right. Good. All is all is right in the world. I don't think I was there for that episode. No. You weren't. You weren't. Okay. Because uh, I was. I, I'm glad I wasn't there because I was. I was going to start to question my own sanity. It's like, I don't remember. <laughs> it talking was chain about Benny. chain restaurant, not like everything. What was the top three? CPK, I, I think, was in the final two, which is um, preposterous. But mm. that was just Kevin pushing it all the way. It had a lot of bad matchups. I cannot remember what else made the final four maybe cheesecake factory soup plantation i I know made the final finals i really wish i was there for this but (laughs) r.i.p soup plantation although i will say this about cpk great barbecue great barbecue chicken pizza yeah it's about the only thing that you can eat there yep they did invent that apparently all right we gotta close the show out thank you guys for listening to the incline dodgers podcast help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcast Add that five-star rating to help boost us up. Hoping to get some guests on soon. We'll see. Um, In the meantime, have a great rest of the month of February. Hopefully baseball is not locked out. But if it is, you'll hear from us next week where we recap what went wrong or what 
what went right. So with that being said, go Dodgers. Peace out. Come on, baseball, figure this shit out already. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.